Let's pray together. God, we do thank you that you've given us the gift of your word and that you have given us a revelation of yourself, that we not only know information about you, but you revealed you, your heart, abounding in love, slow to anger, filled with compassion and truth and goodness and beauty. Lord, open our hearts as we understand and seek you through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The text we're looking at as we return to the Joseph story this morning is Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 23. And if you remember, I'll tell you a little bit um, kind of where we left off. Uh, at, we approach this section, as I'll call it, this act of the Joseph narrative, the Joseph play unfolds. We find Joseph in Egypt, and that's where the narrator wants us. We're showing how, if you put this together with the storyline of the Bible, we're showing how the people of God arrived in Egypt because what comes next in the biblical narrative, the biblical story, the exodus out of Egypt, modeling salvation. So we find Joseph in Egypt having been sold to a leading Egyptian official, a man by the name of Potiphar, the captain of the guard, a powerful man. And Joseph basically has risen to the level of, I'll call him, chief operating officer. He's the COO in Potiphar's household. So hear the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you've brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. 
And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 2, repeated also throughout the passage, is the key and the theme of the narrative. The Lord is with Joseph. The Lord's blessing is upon Joseph. The Lord's covenant faithfulness is upon Joseph. Since God is with Joseph, what do we see? Potiphar's house prospers, comes under the blessing of God, does well. Brings us back to the covenant promise that was given by God to Abraham back in Genesis 12, where it says all peoples on earth will be blessed because of Abraham or through Abraham and his family. In other words, salvation comes to the nations through the people of God. The theme of this particular story is God is faithful. No matter what we go through, even when we think God is silent, when we're going, I can't feel your presence, I can't, I'm not sensing you, where are you? You seem silent, I don't hear your voice, I'm not sensing, I'm crying out, almost like the psalmist, how long, O Lord? Things don't make sense. Tim Keller says of the Joseph story, he says, in the first part of the book of Genesis, God is so visible and audible. In the creation narrative, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, what do we see? We see God constantly breaking in. Their miracles, their visions, their voices, their appearances. But when you get to the last part of Genesis, when you get into the life of Joseph, all that is gone. There are no miracles. There are no visions. There are no voices. There are no appearances. The point of the story is that with God, silence is not absence. Hiddenness is not impotence. When God seems the most hidden from our sight, often he's working the most for us. In this narrative, this section of the overall narrative of Joseph's life, we learn three things about the faithfulness, the covenant faithfulness of God. In apparent hiddenness, God is working We see the power of his faithfulness. We see, I'll call it the sometimes unexpected path of his faithfulness. And we also see the purpose of his faithfulness. Power, path, and purpose. Okay, Look at the part of it. The heart and theme of the passage is given right away in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. No matter what he went through, he is united to the Lord. The presence of the Lord is with him. It is repeated in verse 3. It's repeated in verse 21. It's repeated in verse 23. It's like you read, and then there's the Lord was with Joseph. And the meaning of that is that Joseph is in a covenantal relationship with the Lord. And the heart of the covenant is expressed with the phrase, I will be your God, and you will be my people. Now, we need to recognize a couple things about what it means to be in a covenant relationship with the Lord. First of all, the fact that God has elected a people to be in covenant relationship with him does not mean that he does not care 
about the nations. He is God of the nations. In fact, God is in a covenant relationship with, a, with his people because that will be his way, that will be his means of dealing, of working among the nations. As a matter of fact, what do we see here? We see God working in Potiphar and his household's life, and Potiphar is basically number two in command right under Pharaoh in Egypt. He's working in Egypt, how? Through Joseph. God wants to work in Port Orange. God wants to work in Volusia County. God wants to work in your neighborhood. Do you know how he chooses to do it? Through his people. Through us. We are plan A. And I don't know if this will be good news or bad news for you. God doesn't have a plan B. I mean, I keep thinking to myself, God, you've got to be kidding, right? We're plan A? Have you looked at us lately? And yet he goes, there is no plan B. He will work to love his people through his covenant people. Second thing that we learn here in the power of God's faithfulness is that the presence of God means blessing. Look at verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hand. Now, it is very important that we understand the meaning, the nature of blessing. One of the most misunderstood and, dare I say, misinterpreted features of the Bible is our misunderstanding of what it means to be blessed or faithful or successful, to be under the favor of God. Friends, listen carefully. It does not mean that everything will automatically go well in your life. And if things aren't going well in your life, it does not mean you are not under the blessing of God. We have got to quit. We've got to throw out. We've got to get rid of. We've got to discard this thought that blessing means my life goes well. And if my life's not going well, I'm not blessed. Blessing does not have to do with our circumstances. See, one of the temptations of this passage, maybe one of the temptations Joseph had to go through, is that when your life doesn't go like you want or planned, and I mean, think about this. We'll touch upon this in a few moments. Joseph did the right thing, didn't he, in this passage? Potiphar's wife throws herself at him, and he flees. He says no. He resists temptation. And as what was it said in the great literary line, no good deed goes unpunished? What does Joseph get for it? Oh, prison? A jail term? Blessing does not mean our lives will automatically go great. So what is the nature of blessing? Blessing is the objective, not subjective, favor of the Lord. It is the divine smile upon you. It is that you are positionally in a position of grace under the favor of God, no matter how he is subjectively in the circumstances of your life unfolding his purposes, not necessarily your purposes, for your life. So let me just illustrate it with something very, very common that we do each and every Lord's Day. The benediction. Do you know what the benediction is? The benediction is not simply a praise of the Lord. The benediction is not simply a closing prayer. Benediction is a proclamation, a pronouncement of the Lord's blessing. 
It is his divine favor. That's why the scriptures that I read when I am pronouncing the word of the Lord, the divine blessing upon his people, are not simply doxologies praising God. They are proclamations of the Lord's favor. They are things like, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. That is a divine pronouncement that you are under the Lord's favor. It is why, I'll be honest with you, the proper way to receive the benediction at the close of the service with open hands to show you're in a position of receiving. You are receiving the favor of the Lord, the divine pronouncement in the midst of your doubts, in the midst of your fears, in the midst of because you receive that blessing, in other words, to be sent. Joseph, even though he was betrayed and sold into slavery by the evil actions of his brothers, even though he resisted temptation and was thrown in jail, was a blessed man because the Lord pronounced and proclaimed his favor upon him. The Lord was with Joseph. That is the power of the divine blessing, which is why the next part of the text reads, so Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight and attended him, and Potiphar made him overseer of the house and put him in charge of all that he had. From that time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. This is incredible. Do you see the power of the blessing upon God's people? Potiphar notices that the prosperity of his household is due to the Lord's presence with Joseph. So what does he do? He puts Joseph in charge of anything. This is a fulfillment. Notice the unfolding of God's purposes as they work out in history. In the beginning of Genesis 1, when the Lord said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, let us make a male and female, he made them. He then said, and God blessed them. In other words, I pronounce favor upon you. My presence will be with you to do what? To be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over all things. The fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, every living thing that moves on the earth to rule the earth. In other words, we are made in the image of God, God in order to fulfill the function of managing the household of God. What is Joseph doing here? He is blessed in order that he might steward or manage the household of Potiphar. From a New Testament perspective, I don't know if we recognize this, that this is fulfilled in Christ. For example, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know what our new world will look like? It will look like us inheriting the earth, ruling in some way, and there's a lot we don't know what that will mean, but as Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, when he says, This saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with Jesus, we will also live with him. And if we endure, we will also reign with him. Do you know what your future is? You want to talk about the power of blessing? Your future in God's new world, the new heavens and the new earth, is to reign with Jesus. Now, I'm not sure what that means we'll be doing. I don't know all the specifics of that, but the text says we will reign with him. This is being foreshadowed and prefigured even way back in, in Joseph's life. Now let me try to get practical and apply this for us for a second. 
Because let's recognize something here. Joseph was a very powerful man. And as Christians, as New Testament believers, we are very powerful people. We possess the Holy Spirit. We are in Christ. We participate in the, new, in the divine nature. We are powerful people. And that is not a bad thing. Power is not bad. Here's the practical issue. How do you use your power? Tim Keller makes a wonderful point stating, how does Joseph use his power? Joseph uses his power to bless. He used his power so that a society, think of this, he's in Egypt, he's in a pagan, non-Christian land that did not acknowledge God. And a master who did not acknowledge his God. He is a believer living in the midst of unbelievers. You ever feel like that's your life? In your workplace, in your neighborhood? Let's look at the example of Joseph. They were blessed by his use of power. Dr. Keller writes, what what do we learn here? We learn here that God can use you, men and women, in every sphere of life to do amazing things if we do what Joseph did. And that is, Joseph used power but was not used by power. He took up power, but he was not taken up with power. He took power, but he wasn't co-opted with power, the way Potiphar's wife, that we will see in a direct contrast, was. How do you use your power? In your home, as mothers and fathers, as grandmothers and grandfathers, in your neighborhood, where you're ambassadors for Christ, in your workplace, where you may be living as a believer amongst unbelievers, In whatever role God has called you, do you use your power as a means to serve and to bless and to give life for others? The Lord is with you, my Christian friends. That's the power of covenant faithfulness. But we also learn here the, may I say, quite often unexpected path or trajectory of covenant faithfulness. Okay? The whole episode here with Potiphar's wife. Look at the end of verse 6. The end of verse 6, and we may be tempted to be thinking, yeah, why is this in here? Where it sits there and says, now Joseph was a handsome man in form and appearance. Great thing right there in the biblical narrative. We learn that Joseph was a good-looking guy. Is that there for any reason? Of course. Hebrew scholars point out that Hebrew narrative does not describe physical appearances gratuitously, but only if it is relevant to the plot. So we are not surprised that the next verse describes Potiphar's wife's proposition. She gets right to the point, verse 7, lie with me. And Hebrew scholars here point out that the English translation of this is really toning it down. What she is really saying is sex now. That's the literal Hebrew. In terms of things, what she's really saying is, and remember this, Joseph works for her husband. Joseph's not a free man. He is a slave to her husband. What is she doing? She's abusing her power. If we saw Joseph using his power to bless, if we see Joseph demonstrating his faithfulness, resisting temptation. The first temptation, we think this whole passage is about only the temptation to adultery and sex. 
Joseph had temptations to power, and we're going to see in a minute, Joseph had to have had temptations to despair, to blame God. Look at what happens to him. But he uses his temptation, he uses his power to bless. Look at what Potiphar's wife does. He comes out and he says this would be an affront not only to her husband, but to God. As one commentator put it, adultery did not become sinful simply with the publication of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments simply formalize God's will for his people at the point when the people of God become a nation state. She, of course, says the narrative develops and unfolds, doesn't take no for an answer. And the moment of crisis arrives when Joseph finds himself alone, whether she sent her, her own men, her own household servants out or whatever, but she, we don't know. But Joseph finds himself alone with her. And so again, in the words of one writer, once again, a garment of clothing plays a role in Joseph's fate. Earlier, it was the ornate robe that was used as evidence that he had been mauled by a wild beast. Potiphar's wife now uses his cloak as evidence that he had tried to abuse her. Joseph is not a lucky man when it comes to clothing. The practical lesson for this, it is easy again. I want to bring this home for us to misunderstand the nature of blessing and God's faithfulness, especially when we see what happens next in the story. Of course, Potiphar comes home, and what does she do? It's his fault. That Hebrew slave that you brought, you brought him here only to mock me, to laugh at me. So what is Potiphar? His anger is kindled. He throws Joseph in prison. Here's Joseph resisting, and what does he get for it? A jail term. And again, looking at this particular temptation, I think commentators are right when they point out the hardest temptation maybe for us to undergo is the temptation to despair when we've resisted all other temptations and your life still goes bad. The hardest temptation is the temptation to despair. It's very difficult to resist the temptation to despair when you're doing everything else right. And God still lets all this happen to me. I'm resisting the temptation for sex. I'm resisting the temptation for power. I'm doing everything right, and God lets this happen to me. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like, I'm trying my best to serve you, and this is what I get for it? I know we say we all live by grace, and we understand grace. But friends, do a little surgery on your heart. How do you feel when you're trying to obey and you still feel like your life is going down the drain. How do we deal with that? How do we do that kind of surgery on our heart? Well, let's look at our final point, the purpose of the Lord's faithfulness. Again, we see here, notice at the end of the text, verses 19 to 23, the narrator tells us the Lord was with Joseph. God remains faithful. Just like his brother's actions were evil and God worked out his purposes, so here Potiphar's wife's actions were evil, but again, God is sovereignly working out his purposes for Joseph. And again, with the presence of the Lord, there comes blessing. So the prison keeper, the warden, puts Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. Again, we see the promise of Genesis 12 unfolding of blessing, salvation coming through the means of God's covenant people. He blesses his people for the sake of the nations, for the sake of others. We see once again the missional purpose of a missional God. And as the narrative ends, as this act of the Joseph play comes to conclusion, we see, as one commentator put it, God's presence with Joseph meant that the prison prospered. 
Accordingly, the warden gave him more and more responsibility, even putting him in charge of the other prisoners. And in this way, as the narrative narrator wants us to know, he came to meet two very important Egyptian officials, and this relationship will propel him, will move him to the next stage of his remarkable life. The Lord is Emmanuel, God with us. The key phrase in this, see, how did Joseph do surgery on himself? The key phrase is found in verse 9 when he said to Potiphar's wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? See, we might be thinking, wait a second, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against my boss? Do this great evil and sleep with my boss's wife would be adultery and I'm doing this great, you know, and I work for him and he's given me, put me in charge of all this, how disloyal I would be. But look at Joseph's heart. How did he handle temptation? How did he handle all of this? He said, how could I do this great evil, this great sin, this great wickedness and sin against God? I love how one writer put it. When he said, Joseph is not looking inside to suppress his desire for her. He's looking outside to enhance his desire for God. See, what does he say? What is his ultimate argument against doing this? He says, this is a sin against God. He's not looking inside himself and saying, I've got to buck up. I've got to get willpower. I just need to be more disciplined. Let me get a spiritual plan in order. Let me follow these principles. No, he looks outside himself to his relationship with God. See, the ultimate way in which he's resisting temptation. The ultimate way he gets self-control, I love how this writer puts it, is not through willpower, it's actually through heart power. It's not by looking in and saying, do you see the desires I have? Wow, I must suppress them. Let me just get more internet filters on. Let me just get more, and they're good things to do. But that's not the primary way Joseph works on his heart. He says, no, I look outside. He doesn't look inside and suppress his desire. He looks outside and enhances his desire for God. He says, how can I trample on the God of my life? And we ask, how can we do that? We need to recognize we actually have something better than Joseph even had. At least Joseph didn't have as fully. He didn't have the fullness of the revelation of Jesus and the gospel. Friends, do you understand how we have a better Joseph and who Jesus is for us? Tim Keller says, like this Joseph, Jesus was beautiful. Like this Joseph, Jesus had the palace. He had the power. He had the glory. He had the beauty. He had the majesty. But like Joseph, he lost it. We're told in Isaiah 53, he had no beauty or majesty that we should desire him, but he was what? He was despised and rejected. He had no beauty. He lost his beauty. He had no majesty. He lost his majesty. And why did he do this? For us. We were the reason. The writer to the Hebrews said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. 
and sat down at the right hand of God. And friends, do you know that you were the joy set before Jesus? For the joy set before him, you were the reason. You were his passion. You were his great desire. And friends, it is only, as Dr. Keller says, to the degree that we see that we were the reason, that we were the overmastering passion, that we were the greatest desire of Jesus' heart, the supreme passion of his life, the reason why he endured temptation. When we see that we are his passion, he grows in becoming our passion. When you begin to see that you are his beauty, he grows in becoming yours. If you have him, he's the great thing you desire. All the other desires in your heart become ordered. And you say, how can I trample on this God of my life who gave up all because I'm the supreme passion of his life? How can I sin against God? You don't need to try to will your way into suppressing other desires. You need to see Jesus and see his love for you. See that you are his passion. You are his desire. That he is Emmanuel, the Lord with you. His presence with you. That he died to be with you. And strengthen that desire. Friends, that's why we're going to the table. We've heard that he is with us. And now we go to feast on him. Lord, I do pray that you would strengthen the desires of our heart for you. So often I think we get it wrong in thinking that what we're called to do is just uh, suppress all of our other desires for life and for beauty and things that you created when instead you want us to strengthen our desire for you and have these other desires for created things be put in their proper place. That we see them as gifts gifts you've given to us. So Lord, now let us come to the table to feast on you, your table that you preside over in Jesus' name. Amen.